Here we go. Welcome, folks, to episode number 33 of Our Kids Asleep. This is Jay Alejandro, and I am accompanied by my wife. Maddie. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Yeah? Yeah. Are you ready to do a recap? Uh, are you ready to talk about a couple of things? And are you ready to wrap up the year? Yes, and yes. It is the last podcasting episode of the year, and I'm very, very proud that we made it to number 33. As we had mentioned in our previous previous little message to everyone, we hope that all you folks had a good holiday uh, week this last week. It was uh, pretty exciting for us, but we decided to just shut down and say, you know what, we're not going to do anything this last week. It's all about uh, hanging out with the fam and relaxing for a little bit, so... Do you want to get started? Yeah. Let's see. What do we have? Um, so the first thing I wanted to talk about um, was a book that I finished mm, a couple weeks ago now. Mm. Um, it's called The Butchering Art, Joseph Lister's Quest to Transform the Grizzly World of Victorian Medicine. That is lovely. It is written by uh, Lindsay Fitzsimmons, who is a medical historian. Uh, it's... Exactly what the title <laughs> indicates. Um, it's it's about a scientist um, named Joseph Lister who is studying to be a doctor in the 1800s in Victorian England, and it's about his quest, his his sort of lifelong journey to mm. improving medicine and the outcomes of medicine yeah um because it was pretty it was pretty bleak in victorian england if you had to go to the doctor it wasn't a good day if you had to go to the doctor this was such an interesting at least experience for me because i just heard you a lot of the time reacting to some of this stuff and there were some things that you it felt like you just had to say them to somebody and you would say dude dude you got to listen to this this is ridiculous yeah it just a lot of the stuff in the book is just so unbelievable that that was ever the case. Like, it just, you know, you, you might as well just, honestly, like, I'm sure a lot of people were just like, well, now I'm going to die. Like, this is, I'm not going to go to the doctor. What's the point? You know, like, they're just going to kill me faster. So, you know, it just, it, it was just baffling to me. So, so from you, from what you uh had shared with me the main gist of it was the pushback that the medical profession had against him right that was sort of like the backbone of it yeah or that's a it? lot of it i mean he so it, it pretty much covers it covers a lot um but it is mainly focused on joseph lister because he was a really pivotal um a really pivotal part of medicine changing yeah and um he essentially uh, he tried, he was so, he, you know, he follows him through medical school and eventually when he's actually like a, um, a working doctor, a working surgeon, um, you know, when he, he works in these hospitals in London and Glasgow, um, and other places around, um, the United Kingdom. And he, there's always this nagging problem of, <laughs> nagging problem of the mortality rates of these hospitals. And the funny thing about medicine back then was the hospitals were actually for poor people. Sorry, plosives. For, <laughs> um, Mind the hospi plosives. Hospitals were for poor people. 
And on, and if you were wealthy, you could afford to pay a doctor to come to your house and to mm-hmm. perform whatever you needed done at your home. So it was and, less of a cesspool. Yeah, was. it was considered, I mean, obviously it was safer for mm. you if you had to have some sort of procedure that, that in, you know, if it was an amputation or some sort of something where they had to cut into you. That's very interesting. It was I, much safer to do it at your home than in a hospital. Because now that chance- you mention it, yeah, you always got the sense, well, there must have been a communal space where mm-hmm. people would have to go to get taken care of or, you know, there would be the facility with the tools or the means. But yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it, um, you know, and most a lot of people could not afford that. And mm-hmm. so they had no other choice than to either live with whatever was ailing them for as long as they were allowed to live or... They would have to try their luck. They would have to try their luck and go to the hospital. So, um, and the (laughs) luck wasn't good. I mean, the mortality rates were, I don't know the exact percentage and it varied from hospital to hospital. It sounds like you pretty much had had to have a death wish. It was, it was very much like you were probably not going to get out of there alive if you had to have some sort of surgery. Jesus. Um, and So Joseph Lister, you know, he saw this and everywhere he went, he was like, why? Like, why are my patients dying? Like, it can't be. So the common thinking about about why patients sickened and died after after a surgery was this thing called miasma. And so obviously they did not understand germ theory. There was no such thing. They didn't understand that there were organisms that we couldn't see that cause infection. Mm. They didn't even understand what infection was. So Joseph Lister was like, why is this happening? It can't be miasma. Miasma was like noxious fumes. And if someone breathed them in, they would sicken and die. (laughs) Was that like the humors? Kind of. The humors are more like what's in your body. Miasma was more like environmental. I see. You know, there was a there's a part in the book where they talk about um, how they were just dumping human excrement in the Thames and they had been forever, the the River Thames. <laughs> and so the River Thames was just like a cesspool of shit. And, uh-huh. and there were literally piles of shit on the sh- on the shores of the Thames. And it was so bad that they called it the, the summer of stink or the stinky summer or something, because it was obviously in the summer, it gets worse. Uh, you and I try to visualize and imagine that kind of environment it's very often. It's yeah. horrific. We talk about I, that a lot. I think about it reason. way too often. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry. But I, yeah. So they were thinking this, like doctors were like, oh, no, like there's going to be an epidemic because... It's so bad. Like, you can't go outside. Mm. You can't, you know, without smelling it. And they were like, there's definitely going to be an epidemic of people falling ill because of the, of the miasma, mm. which is absurd. And, of course, there was no epidemic. They didn't realize that people were getting sick because they were drinking water with shit in it, <laughs> which was causing all these other, like, cholera and dysentery and stuff. Well, listen, I mean, some shit might be bad in some cultures, but I don't know if <laughs> I heard. It's just, it's just, it was a fundamental uh, misunderstanding, ignorance yeah, and, of, of what was causing it. But at that point, you were talking about a complete shift in the in the yeah. medical thinking, yeah. right? Like up until that point, There's there was... There's no way that anybody would have come to this conclusion if it hadn't been for Louis Pasteur. Because Louis Pasteur was the one who developed the germ theory. And so, and Joseph Lister had tried and tried and tried to figure out 
what he could do to lower his mortality rates. So and if, if I may ask then, was was um, List, Lister mm-hmm. borrowing from, from that kind of ideology or the, the scientific information that Pasteur was yes. developing at the time? How, yes. Were they contemporaries yes. or did he? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Joseph, I meant Louis Pasteur was, I think, a little bit older than, than Lister, but not by much. And Louis Pasteur was not a doctor. He was just a chemist. Mm. So... He was doing work with um, fermentation and studying Mm -hmm. fermentation. He had like a friend who worked in the wine industry and his friend couldn't figure out why some of his wine was going bad and some of it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And so Louis Pasteur like set up a lab in this guy's business and was like doing experiments and realized that fermentation and putrefaction were sort of two sides of the same coin but there were ish, there were reasons why it happened in put- like why putrefaction happened and why fermentation happened and he um you know mike it's so louis pasteur obviously used a microscope in order to study what was happening with the wine and what the fi- chemical reactions yeah, were and, and how- like like the at a microorgan microorganism level so he could see what was going mm-hmm. on and he could see the differences um what's funny is that microscope like microscopic science was considered kind of laughable to like a lot of the medical community because they were like oh there's no need for that like we don't need to know what's going on at such a small level but lister was like an enthusiast about microscopes and so was his father Mm -hmm. his father actually invented he invented some sort of um i can't remember what part of the microscope but he was he was uh instrumental in the the evolution of the microscope joseph lister's father was that's that's um so he had like from a young from like a young age he had a really um he was really enthusiastic about the microscope and he thought it was useful Mm -hmm. and um eventually obviously became very important i love that it's like a like a perfect recipe for uh development or ingenuity where you have this this thing that doesn't really fit the norm of the field that he went into. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you said, he, was he Amish? Did you say? Or no, he Lister? was a Quaker. He was a Quaker. There, he was a Quaker. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious about that. Um, what, were there restrictions or was it like a forbidden thing that they, they weren't supposed to use that kind of technology? Or is that sort of no. like a non-issue for them? No, Quakers, it was actually encouraged for them to be... They're more scientifically oriented. Things like music and art were considered frivolous. Oh, Jesus. Like frivolous pursuits. <laughs> and so they actually were very um, supportive in, you know, the sciences. So very nuts and bolts kind mm-hmm. of people. It was but... considered a, a like a noble pursuit. Okay. And that's why he went on to medical school. Yeah. But I do find that interesting where the, the opportunity for discovery happens when you have this, this, um, sort of interest in in a non-related element and then you try to to rationalize it or to work it into another another um profession or or try to use tools from other areas to Mm -hmm. implement in another way it's like a a breeding ground for for ingenuity in that way yeah and that was the thing with pasteur was that he was not a doctor but he realized that um his discovery of these germs, they eventually started using, like, termed the phrase germ theory. <laughs> um, he realized that it could be useful in medicine. 
but he wasn't a doctor. So he was like, somebody use my theory to figure out how to keep people from dying because yeah. I think this is what's causing it. And he right. had had like four kids die of like typhoid fever. So yeah. he had like a really personal, he said, I really wish I would have known about what I discovered before my, my daughters passed away. No, this is uh pastor. pastor yeah. Oh, good Lord. Um, and sad. so, yeah. And it was very, very common. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. kids died a lot. That's why yeah. people had so many kids. And so could you give us a, a bit of a time frame as to how long it took Lister to implement or, or mm. sort of bring those changes to, to his profession or to his field? How much pushback, how long did that take? in the scope of the book to to really see um, fruition? I mean, his whole life. I mean, I know he wasn't pursuing this particular... I would say from the... Because he was kind of a prodigy. Like, he started really young, and he became... Um, n like, he had a lot of notoriety from a young age. I see. And um, he... So, once he... Um, studied Pasteur's work, he started looking into ways to prevent um, what they called putrefaction, and which is just infection. There's just a different word. So does this mean that we're going to talk about um, the gross shit now that we laughed well, about for a while? <laughs> kind of. I mean, so he, there was a few ways in which uh, Pasteur theorized that we could prevent it, prevent cross-contamination. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and the big one that Lister latched onto was antiseptics. So using chemicals to sterilize the An instruments, area. your your person, the person you're working on, and the air around you. Because they still were sort of unsure about they, – they were still convinced that things in the air were getting in. So they would like – it was kind of funny. They had like – so they, they started – he started using carbolic acid, um, which – other scientists had also written a lot about um, about the antiseptic properties of carbolic acid. Mm -hmm. And so he started using that. I mean, it took a lot of trial and error, but eventually that's what he settled on. There was a lot of other chemicals he tried, but it didn't work. And so carbolic acid was the one he settled on and really started experimenting with. And <laughs> there's a part where he's doing like a, a classroom autopsy to show like show his or not an autopsy, a surgery mm. with like a, a live person. And they have someone with carbolic acid in like a sprayer and they were like spraying the air. Oh, wow. And yeah, he like made them shut the windows and like he just wanted to make sure like the whole area, including the air around the patient was sterile, which, mm. you know, nowadays, I mean, that is an issue. They don't want like a lot of air circulating and stuff, but it, they're not like sterilizing the air now. Mm -hmm. Um, So... After, like the first time he successfully used carbolic acid was on a boy who had a compound fracture. It was like a 10 year old boy mm -hmm. and he'd been hit by a carriage and fractured um, his leg. And so he decided Lister decided to use this carbolic acid on this kid to make sure that to try and save his leg. Cause he was 10. He was like, if I amputate this kid's leg, his life's over. Mm -hmm. He's not gonna be able to work. And it worked and the kid lived and walked out of the hospital like six weeks later, That's which awesome. was unheard of. I mean, you would either be dead or you would, wouldn't have a leg. Right. And we had talked about this and you, you, you shared that story with me as you were reading it and you, <laughs> we, we sort of kind of chuckled a bit because, 
uh, I thought that the reaction of the village people at the time would have been, well, praise the Lord, mm. you know, something miraculous and incredible happened where, you know, a lot of it was a lot of trial and error and experimentation from uh, somebody who was just at the top of their game trying to discover something new. But mm-hmm. really, it just it just comes down to, you know, this was a miracle because it's something that we don't understand. Mm-hmm. We just have no idea how this possibly could have happened. And mm-hmm. that's still, it, it rings as like this baffling thing that just a couple of lifetimes ago, that's where yeah. we were at. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. But, I mean, overall, the book is really, it's, a, it's, inter- it's entertaining. It's disgusting. Can we talk about pus for a moment? Let's <laughs> let's take a moment because you, you yeah. had some interesting uh um yeah, terminology. Yeah, one of that the was like, coined. <laughs> so doc, they they didn't understand the process of of infection. They didn't understand that when an, a wound gets red and inflamed and pus develops that that's a bad thing. <laughs> they thought that that was just a normal the nor- like part of the normal healing process. And so when p- pus would form, they would say <laughs> they would say that the wound had developed laudable pus. Laudable pus. Laudable pus because it was it, it was a sign of <laughs> it was supposedly a sign that something good was happening within the wound. Like ah, the Titus turban turning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's just absurd like yeah, they just—they had no understanding of what the body was doing or why it was doing it. Yeah, and just—I mean—trying their best, but um, but using a lot of established, but just not having norms. the information. Yeah, and just right. you know, and a lot of the beginning of the book is about surgery before anesthesia, which isn't really what the book is about, but it's important to understand. The levels of the just the amount of progress that was made in a really short amount of time, yeah. Um, because before and before ether was developed for this use, there was no anesthesia. So, if you needed a surgery, you had to be prepared to undergo an incredible amount of pain. Just in complete order, shock just, and Yeah, and I mean, trauma. there was no way of getting around the fact that you had to be awake for the 60 seconds it took the surgeon, if you were lucky, yeah, the 60 seconds it took the surgeon to saw your leg off. Let's talk about how fast these yeah. guys used to so, do it. Surgery now, as we know surgery, is incredibly precise. It's careful. It takes um, a long time. It takes a long time in some cases. Back then, surgery was, how fast can I do this? And how little pain can I inflict? So there was a surgeon called Robert Liston, I want to say. It's really close to Joseph Lister and it confused me through the whole book. <laughs> um, he was like a, the, the peak surgeon of his time. And he was six foot. He was over six feet tall. He was a big guy. And he could he could amputate a leg. In under 30 seconds. Oh, Jesus So, Christ. you know, he had multiple saws that he used. None of them had been washed for 30 <laughs> no, years. No, <laughs> they never washed their, their tools, ever. They never washed their clothes or their tools. Um, uh, and he, yeah, he could amputate a leg in under 30 seconds. And 
there's a really great story in the book about um, this particular amputation he performed where he was amputating the leg and he switched, he went to switch tools. He put one tool in his teeth, the bloody knife in his teeth, and uh-huh. switched to the bone saw and finished amputating the leg. And he nicked his medical assistant and he like cut the um like a person like a spectator who was standing too close. <laughs> he got like cut his coat. And oh, and so, let's get this. There were like viewings, right, oh, yeah. for these surgeries. There were they, were a show. they sold tickets to this stuff. So people would watch. Like not doctors, not students, just people oh, off we the street. Are savages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Side note, um, and it was they. She joked that that was the only uh, the only surgery in history with a three hundred percent mortality rate because the patient died, the one who got his leg cut off, the medical assistant died who got nicked, and the guy who got his coat cut died of fright <laughs> or shock or something trauma. <laughs> Talk about interactive theater, yeah, Jesus it's Christ! Horrific. Yeah, but, that's uh, but yeah, phenomenal. that was that was surgery before they developed ether, and Joseph Lister was actually present at the first successful surgery that they did at that particular hospital with ether, and mm. it was like it was miraculous to everyone because they realized, oh, like we don't have to worry about hurting the patient because they're asleep. So mm-hmm. we don't, we can be more careful. Right. We can don't do what we rush. need to do. We don't have to rush. Um, yeah. I mean, surgery, yeah. I can't imagine what it was like when you woke up, but oh, at least God. you didn't feel it while it was happening. Yeah. But in the context of the book, it's, it's really important to set that kind of, of, of tone of like, mm-hmm. this is what we were dealing with before. And these are the, the yeah. great advances that were made. Yeah. In less than a hundred years, mm. we went from no anesthesia, 90% mortality rate in a hospital to mm. putting people under mm-hmm. sterilizing equipment, sterilizing doctors, sterilizing people yeah. um, and making hospitals cleaner. And yeah, it's, it was inc- it's incredible how much progress was made in such a short amount mm-hmm. of time. So what are the big takeaways for you, the thing that really kept you engaged with a book and, and the things that that you're really kind of just leaving with a with sense of awe at, at think, what you read? Um, obviously, like the gross stuff is interesting and entertaining, but I think the, the really big thing that I took away was like the how long implementation took in in sort of an international way. Because there was so much pushback in all walks of medicine to his, to Joseph Lister's um, methods. And, you know, like, hospitals would try it out, but they wouldn't do it right. And they'd be like, oh, it doesn't work. You know, like, it's just, it's fooey. because a few steps back. Yeah, and- yeah. And they would just, like, just dismiss it because it didn't work for them, even though they weren't following every step, you know, and, and it it was in its infancy, these methods were in its infancy. So he kept improving it and, and, and having these eureka moments where he was doing something wrong. And if he did it this way, uh, the outcomes were better and Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. So um, it, I think just the, the length of time it took for these, for these methods to be implemented in sort of a universal way, was really interesting and just the level of, I mean, this was a huge sea change, 
you know, mm. and you have to remember that, like a lot of these surgeons had lifetime careers under their belts already and they were not ready or willing to accept mm -hmm. this new I mean it was literally an entirely new way of thinking about what they had done their whole lives right and that's not an easy thing to convince people of and he did not convince everybody yeah. right away you know or even within 10 years you know did he get to see some of the the progress around oh, yeah. his his community and yeah the world? he did for sure um, oh good he 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 traveled a lot he traveled to like france and um he eventually went to the u.s which was the u.s was very resistant against mm. against his methods um and he actually went like all over the country um, showing, you know, um, like teaching hospitals, his methods and stuff. And yeah, he saw, I think, I think he saw a lot of progress. Like not, not everybody pushed back. A lot of people were really like receptive. Yeah. How old was he when he passed, when he died? Mm, he was older. I want to say he was in his seventies. I can't remember exactly. He was pretty old. Yeah. And so this is what I think is what is truly miraculous about this is that he lived long enough to develop and implement this because mm -hmm. for somebody in that profession, I mean, a lot of the folks that even went to intern were really not likely to survive at all. Were yeah. they? No, it was really easy for medical students to die on the job <laughs> because you make one mistake and you're dead. Yeah. You know, you cut yourself with a, with a dirty knife and you're, you could be along with your patients dying on a ward. Yeah. And it happened a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he was very lucky um, for that not to happen, I guess. <laughs> right. Um, you just have to be, you know. You this is very methodical, very careful. And, yeah. And yeah. yeah. Well, it, just listening to it secondhand and getting to hear your reactions as you read this book has been really insightful. So I'll have to check that out. Yeah, too, it's myself. a great book. Um, I do recommend it. It's called The Butchering Art and it's by Lindsay Fitzsimmons. So what do you think? Would you like to give it a tink? Yeah, it deserves all the tinks. Let's celebrate. There you go. There's a tink for the butchering art. And uh, with some blood and guts out of the way, we would like to talk about some Christmas movies. What do you think? Yeah. Um, so Christmas just happened. And we're still in the holiday spirit. So I think we wanted to do something to celebrate our love for some of the movies we love growing up and some of the new ones that we caught recently. So let's start with the classics. What's the big one? Yeah. So with the advent of Disney plus, we have access to a lot of really great old Christmas movies. And the first, um, the, the, a lot of the, the, the two that we watched a lot because our son just really loves them is the home alone movies. Mm -hmm. The first two. Um, and, these movies are pretty great and they're such good Christmas movies. Um, and you know, they're not like ambiguous Christmas movies like Die Hard. Like they're, <laughs> they're legit <laughs> no Christmas movies. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a um, legit Christmas movie. So I don't know. I watched these movies a lot as a kid, um, particularly the second one. I don't know. My family like loved the second one. And mm -hmm. I think it's largely because of Tim Curry. <laughs> we loved Tim Curry growing up. Um, yeah. And, See, we watched it quite a bit, but I don't know that we watched it as much as you guys. Mm -hmm. My mom still loves that movie, and it's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, but. yeah, we watched it every year. 
And uh, who are your favorite your favorite actors in those movies? Would you say Tim? I mean, Tim Curry's up there for, for yeah. Me as well. Tim Curry is really great. The two bad guys. I mean, it's, it's Joe Pesci and um, Daniel Stern. Daniel Stern. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh man, they're they're great. Um, they have the kind of humor that translates to the new generations that transfers over and just watching it with our son has been such a fun time because mm-hmm. you get to feel like oh my god it's yeah and like god Catherine O'Hara is the mom and yeah. she's hysterical Moira Rose yes our Let's... lord and savior Moira Rose <laughs> um, plays the mom in both movies and she's she's great um, yeah, it's just like the family, like the family is horrible and just like a lot of great moments. Yeah. Can we take a moment to talk about what the hell their dad does for a living Jesus. to afford that house? I let's, know. let's get into this right now. I know I wasn't going to talk about uh, socioeconomic uh, or class warfare, you know, class warfare, but what the hell? <laughs> but at least I wasn't having the kind of physical reaction that I had to like Chevy Chase in, in, uh, the Christmas vacation yeah, movies. I don't understand like, why that throwing is. Throwing a fit about his, his the um, same thing. His bonus. I don't know. They I might mean. actually live in the same house because I think they live in the Chicago <laughs> suburbs in that movie too. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know what it is. I mean, I, maybe it's just, I'm making a big deal out of nothing. No, I think I about, am. I mean, you don't think but, about it as a kid, but yeah, as an adult, you definitely are like, yeah. he lives in a McMansion <laughs> in the Chicago suburbs. <laughs> What? And yeah, he's taking 14 people to France in the first one. Yeah, because he's the one paying. And then 14 people to Florida in the second one. Right. So that's some FU money. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. He's got yeah, some, yeah. Good, definitely, some good money. Definitely. Uh, um, either he's a politician or mm-hmm. no, there would have been a lot more he's attention like, at he's, the airport. I, I would say he's probably like a stock trader or something, like something high up. Lawyer? Uh, I don't know if that's he wouldn't have time for money. his family. Maybe like a corporate lawyer, like yeah, yeah, where, like, exactly. Big money is, but yeah, he wouldn't. I don't know. Like, you don't know where he is like the year round. Like yeah, he's there now because it's vacation time, but maybe he's never around. Yeah. Well, I think that he owns a restaurant chain, mm-hmm. and he's laundering money mm-hmm. for the meth cartels. Could be. So that Could be a that's just bad my situation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, no, I don't no know. Chicken. Deep, deep dish. Uh, what is he, it? Pan pizza? Chicago-style yeah. pan pizza? Yeah. That's he also had deep. a credit card, which in the early 90s, I don't feel like a lot of people had a credit card. Because mm-hmm. I think that was like what rich people did. Right? Did a lot <laughs> I of people guess. have credit cards in 1990? I don't think that was a very rich exclusive thing. Because they didn't even, like, you had to do like the slidey thing to yeah. even run it. So I don't think a lot of people had credit card. I don't know. It doesn't seem like a lot of people did. If you yeah. were rich, maybe, but right. And you could tell it was old because he only had one. Yeah, he didn't just have the like one. twenty credit cards. It was like American Express, the fanciest yeah. monocle of uh, yeah. of credit cards. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, yeah, fuck that guy. I mean, he he has a lot of uh, a lot of opportunity there at his disposal. Oh, yeah. But at least he got to take his kid. Yeah, and I think like. I don't know. The cartoony nature of the violence is uh Yeah. It's I, funny to me. Man, like it's it's like half cringe and half just excitement for mm-hmm. the next one to happen and and I think yeah. uh I was thinking I was thinking this the other day, like I feel like in the first one there were a few bits that like were too much. 
Because they didn't get repeated in the second movie. Like the nail? Like the nail in the, the foot. The nail is... That was too much. Holy shit. Chris Columbus should have... He t- should have taken a second look at that one, because that yeah. was too much. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's like, the, you know, the paint can to the face and... Right. But they, they kind of repeated that one, too. Like Yeah, that's what the, I mean. The ones that were, like, good, that, like, that landed... That were okay, that, yeah. That landed and that were okay, I think, got repeated in the second one. Yeah, and you know what really worried me is that I, I hope that um, Macaulay Culkin or the family found the nail before somebody else got <laughs> in there. Like, days after, mm-hmm. I'm sitting there uh, yeah. having my coffee, and I'm like, I wonder if they got that nail out. I was watch- I was reading this, like, list of... <laughs> of tweets from people who had been watching it uh-huh. on Disney Plus and it was like like 27 thoughts people had while re-watching Home Alone and one of them was like I'm just impressed at how uh, Kevin got all that shit cleaned up before his parents yeah. got home in like a you day know? yeah it's yeah. absurd but uh yeah I don't it's know those are su- they're such magic. they're such fun movies yeah second one is just as good with the bricks yeah god, oh my god it's the, my favorite part of both movies. <laughs> Suck bracket. <laughs> our, our son lost his mind. Oh, I never. I don't know if you were here the first time we watched it. I don't think so. He was on the floor. <laughs> like he was laughing so hard. I thought he was going to pee his pants. Like it was so oh, funny. God. But see, that's what I'm talking about. That's what you should be looking for, for, mm-hmm. for like a good old fashioned family Christmas movie. Yeah. And that one's really at the top of the list. It's really good. It, it really holds up. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's a wonderful classic. Uh, we can talk about the Santa Claus, which is another one that we yeah. saw. Um, which. That's a good one. I, I kind I'd of, forgotten a lot. Me too. A lot about it's a it. Really good one. And. It it holds up. It you know it's uh, Tim Allen in his mm-hmm. peak days. So I I was a sucker for Tim Allen and all that he had to offer mm-hmm. in his uh, cynical you know kind of and uh, the uh, peak nineties actor Judge Reinhold was oh, in it. Oh yeah, yeah. Like it, I haven't seen that guy in twenty years. Yeah, yeah. It's it, yeah you you, but that movie aged worse than mm-hmm. than Home Alone for sure. I mean, yeah, it did. It, Why it was, was that? The, the production, like, like the mm-hmm. production design was really like rooted in that like mm-hmm. early nineties kind of vibe. So even mm-hmm. when he came out with in a Santa Claus costume and it was all like, like this bright, shiny red, you know, it, it just felt. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was, yeah. Felt that, like a time capsule. It was like his flame retardant suit that he wore under it. But yeah, yeah he definitely yeah. looked like, and he had like the ZZ top beard and. <laughs> Yeah, there there were some moments where I felt like, okay, here we go, back in the time mm-hmm. capsule. Let's do this. That's a good one, though. I like that. Still, one. that one had heart. Now, we can continue talking about these for forever and ever, but let's talk about the new ones, the takeaways yeah. that we had, because there were some really good ones. There's a lot of really good new Christmas movies, which is surprising to me. I just, I don't feel like maybe this is just one of those things where they're never as good as the ones you watch as a kid, mm-hmm. but. I there's some really good ones. So there's Let's two talk about- there's two that are Netflix exclusive and there's one that is Disney Plus exclusive. So the Disney Plus exclusive one is Noel starring Anna Kendrick and Bill Hader. Oh yeah, it's on or- It's on Disney Plus. It's a Disney Plus original. Oh, okay. Okay. And it's so it was really cute. I was really kind of stunned so. by how yeah. good it was I, I like it when they at this point i mean they they have to do something that's completely out of left field mm-hmm. reinvent the holiday a little bit 
change tradition. I mean, a lot of those new movies are now all about reinventing mm-hmm. the Christmas tradition and what's what's yeah, you know, considered the, to be. The premise of that one is um, the Santa Claus uh, family. Yeah, they're a family. And so when well, Santa Claus passes away, it goes on to the next generation of children of, you know, Santa's children. Mm-hmm. And Bill Hader is the next one in line but is nervous about being Santa and eventually disappears because he doesn't want to be doesn't, Santa. Yeah, he doesn't want anything. And to so, do and it's Anna Kendrick who plays his sister, Noel. It's her job to, she has to, she feels like she has to go and find him. Mm-hmm. And it's just a really sweet movie. It's about, and, it's about siblings. Yeah, yeah. And sort of like familial <laughs> rivalries. And I just, I thought it was a really well done, really well done movie. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Uh, um, what's his face? Um, Billy Eichner had a, a great little cameo <laughs> yeah. there. He was like a, a stickler, yeah, for technology and wanting yeah. to upgrade the systems and um, sending these uh, letters to let the the naughty kids who you know they weren't getting any presents via yeah. email. Yeah. Uh, a lot of fun, fun stuff. Um, but Anna Kendrick was was very sweet and mm-hmm. charming in that movie. She did a really good job. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to find those kinds of leads who can give you the spirit of the season, mm-hmm. who can really kind of capture it. And I thought she did a really yeah, good job. Yeah, I think it's difficult sometimes to find like a, an authenticity or like a genuineness. Yeah, and yeah. she had that, even though like she kind of has like a reputation of being sort of like sarcastic and funny. Like snarky yeah, in a snarky. funny way. Yeah. But I actually felt like she did a really good job of being, Just of coming off genuine. Yeah, and, and being lighter. You, you believed it. Right. Yeah, you didn't feel like it was um, pessimistic in any way. Yeah. So that was a great movie. I'd highly recommend that one. What about you? Yeah, you I like that good? one a lot. No, one um, was really good. Which ones did you have on there? Because I wanted to talk about Klaus for a little bit. Yeah, we can talk about that one. I go into this movie, you know, thinking, well, Netflix is trying to do something to compete with with mm-hmm. Disney Plus and their treasure trove of animated movies, and that's a that's a really tall order, mm-hmm. but. To do what they did with Klaus, which is, um, again, a reimagining of the origin story of, of Santa Claus, was was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Like, such a fun and, and endearing movie. I wasn't expecting to be so uh, captivated by, like, the emotional aspect of it. It starts out pretty light mm-hmm. with this postman who is on the verge of getting, like, ousted from his family because he's a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. And he has to do the family proud. So he goes off into this remote island to do, to learn how to become a better postman. So in that process, he tries to, to engage the community, which is, like, divided by two families that are, that are, like, forbidden to be together. And, in the middle of it, there's there's like this woodsman who who was a toy maker, and from that you get like this this beautiful like mythology, kind of like coming together. But I I was tearing up at that movie like three or four times. Yeah, through like right near the middle of it mm-hmm. when you started to get some of that some of that delicious exposition. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, what the hell is going on? Mm-hmm. And I I look at my face and I'm like, oh god, this is too much for me. And obviously, I think that the emotional, the emotional, like, like 
intensity of things when I'm talking about them should be reduced by like 25%. So any other person who's talking about this stuff will probably be like 25% less affected than me just because know. I'm, I'm kind of naturally running at high emotions now. <laughs> I've talked to a lot of people. Well, I've talked to a couple of people who watched that movie who said it was. Oh, really? Yeah. Like that they were like really moved by Wait, it. Did you talk to your coworkers or, or like. No, like Ashley, I talked to you today and she said, yeah, Klaus definitely made me cry. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, it, Teresa wa- and Brad watched it. And they yeah, it was I, was, really I was really feeling it <laughs> uh, a, a couple of times just because of the, the sweetness. Mm-hmm. There was like a complete kind of tenderness and you tend to to be just kind of emotionally willing to go into that during the holiday season. Mm-hmm. But I just think on, on a very human kind of uplifting sense it was really rewarding to Mm -hmm. see that movie and and i felt really happy i was really impressed yeah and netflix has done that a couple times with the one that came out previously which was called the christmas chronicles Mm -hmm. um which was the like the their last the 2018 big christmas movie they put out the big one um and that movie i don't think was quite as good as claws but i thought it was good for what it was which was a Santa movie, mm-hmm. you know, about a family who had had a loss and sort of rediscovering like Christmas magic. And yeah, Kurt yeah. Russell plays Santa, which was <laughs> the most like unexpected. <laughs> it was su- such an can unexpected, we, um, uh, great casting move. Can we talk about thirst for Santa Claus? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Kurt Russell is sexy Santa, apparently. According to Twitter. There's a lot of thirst it was, for yeah, Kurt Russell Santa. Everyone was just clamoring about how... Yeah, it's fucking how, Kurt Russell. Of course he's well, hot. Yeah. He's but, been hot for 40 years. <laughs> yeah, so uh, talk about reinventing the uh, the model uh, or the, the Santa Claus archetype here. Mm-hmm. Um he he did a really good job. He was really fun and in a very like it was weird because he 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 seemed very traditional. Like mm-hmm. he performed the part in a very like you know let's believe, let's be gung ho about mm-hmm. Christmas again. Let's galvanize people to like love the holiday again. But very much Kurt Russell too. So mm-hmm. it was a a lot of tradition and a lot of new. And that movie was kind of a family affair. I realized after watching it through the second time that his son, Oliver, well, his stepson, Oliver Hudson played the dad yeah. of the, of the family. I always like, I always find this, this crazy shit where you, you tell me, Oh, well like, you know, what, who's he married to? He's married to Goldie Hawn. Yeah. Goldie Hawn. Right? She, she was in it too. Mm-hmm. And, and like, you told me that, uh, Kate Hudson was Goldie Hawn's daughter and that Kurt Russell's her, her dad her stepdad her stepdad and i'm like yeah kurt um kate i found this out like last year when you told me yeah kurt uh kate hudson and oliver hudson are siblings and their dad is not kurt russell but he they Mm. have another dad but she and uh kurt russell have been married for like i don't know 40 years or something a long time yeah and uh and good for them i mean yeah they're all like yeah they're all uh Anyway, but that that's beside the point here. Yeah. But it, it was a good, good family Christmas movie as well. It was really well. sweet. Yeah, I like that movie a lot. It was, check it out. I still one. put Claus at like as my favorite Christmas movie that we saw this year. Yeah. The animation was really stunning in that movie. Like, it was different. It was very cool. Yeah. I liked but it a I lot. think we're we're definitely more 
more accustomed to getting the kind of Pixar animation style, mm-hmm. which is sort of edges rounded off in a mm-hmm. way. There's less, um, yeah, it's pretty much like the edges are curved. Definitely. Like it's so clean and there's perfect. A, yeah, yeah. There's like a kind of softness to it. Not that this other movie was, wasn't like that, but it, it's. It was hand-drawn though. Mm. Well, I mean, maybe not hand-drawn, but it's. Elements. It wasn't, it. it wasn't fully computer generated like, um, like Pixar movies are. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, or are they literally, no, are I, they doing the hand? I mean, obviously. I the, think what it they're was probably, animated, babe. Like I, yeah, I definitely think that it was. animated to me. Um, but they computer looked like, animated. Yeah, yeah. They look like like paintings. A yeah, lot of the tableaus yeah. look like paintings. But that's what I'm saying. It sticks out in a in mm-hmm. in a refreshing way because we are used to seeing the you know, these kinds of, of Pixar style approach, which is to make it kind of soft and tender and and cute and welcoming. Mm-hmm. Which which, you know, that's that's why they they know what they do. At the end of the movie, I looked up the director because I was just interested in what else he had done. And he was like the director of Despicable Me. Yeah. Like he like he, works with that company yeah, that puts out Illumination. illumination. And all those, yeah. And I, I think, was like, what? Like, this is a complete departure from those types of movies, I thought. Yeah. But that's a very, very sweet movie. Mm-hmm. Very much worth it. Now, let's think two Christmas movies. What do you think? Do you have another one that you'd like to add or no, that was all. I mean, there's a ton of movies we can talk about, but so next time that we get together to talk about movies, I really want to make you watch Togo because Mm. I'm still losing my mind about that movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been off for a couple of days. I've been catching up on my Disney plus. We'll probably get to the Mandalorian next week, but you need to catch up on that Togo. Holy shit. What a fun, awesome, epic movie. Definitely worth it, and uh, let's go into detail about it next time because okay. I think it'll be it'll be definitely. Where are we worth, at? Uh, we're at about forty five minutes. So, mm. do you want to wrap up? Do we want to talk about New Year's resolutions, or do you want to talk about that in our next show after the New Year? No, let's wrap it up real quick because I think it's the right episode for it. So, let's give it a couple of minutes, and you know, let's call it quits. So you do want to talk about it? I do want to talk about it, yes. Let's give it a couple of minutes to talk about it, and then we we will depart. Okay. So So. what are your New Year's resolutions? Oh, wait, did we we tink already? Well, yeah, let's tink to Christmas. There we go. I'm getting tired, Madeline. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so New Year's resolutions. Do you make them? Do you have any I personally have... Plenty of thoughts about it. I've been I've been revising and going through my uh, my journaling approach to make sure that I can do better in 2020. And for those of you who know me, I I go back and forth on a lot of things in my life. And the one thing that I miss the most, or have missed recently, like in my adulthood, has been getting to journal. So in the last probably six months, I've I've sort of found that again. Uh, from when I was a kid and it's just brought a bit more of a desire to get better and to be more organized about the way that I live my life. And, you know, I think it's, it's been pretty good so far. I just want to do better next year. So for me, just having that kind of anchor system that can make me be, be better. Um, and so hopefully that'll allow us to, to just get more stuff done Mm -hmm. and be, and is this specifically like the bullet journaling that's that you feel like has been helping you stay organized? I think so. In in the bullet journaling for sure, uh, just looking at at a journal as an instrument of of 
accountability, productivity, and organization has been really just kind of refreshing uh, because I journaling came naturally to me before, but then I kind of got caught up in, in being an adult and, and focusing on the day-to-day and not really processing the things that I was learning or, or uh, had to let go of. So it's definitely using those tools and applying them to a pro- to my own process and, and making sure that I can still enjoy what I do on the page and, and get the most out of that. So, um, yeah, I'm, I've been looking at a lot of resources online about bullet journaling, but it's not just the only method. I mean, there's, there's other ways to really tackle it. And, and I don't know, it's very specific, like the actual bullet journaling method. Um, there's like a whole book on it of, of how you need to move around with the page and, and do that sort of thing. I just pretty much like to feel like I can design my own spread over two pages and, and really get my week down and, um, you know, just be more accountable, Mm -hmm. but you can customize it. And that's the point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm all about journaling with or without bullets, (laughs) you know, as long as it'll help me get shit done. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And so Mm -hmm. far so good. Mm -hmm. But I guess I should ask you, I mean, do you think that things have, have looked a little bit better? Like, like I'm more focused in a way from your perspective or, or like, I, at least I'm putting in the effort mm-hmm. in our household yeah. to, to do that. Yeah, I would say so. I okay. mean, I think it's, um, yeah, I would say it's helping. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, not, not to be, um, and just to, I guess I should say to move on to like another area of it for me, just emotionally i feel like i want to be more present mm-hmm. you know in terms just in general mm-hmm. when i'm here talking to you or to or you know like hanging out with our son or you know talking with our friends i just want to be more present more mm-hmm. engaged mm-hmm. and to let let people know how much i care about them mm-hmm. and you know yeah. that sort of thing yeah you know um but enough about enough about babbling mm. babbling jaime <laughs> I wrote you? down I wrote down way too many goals and it's not realistic but hey, I was hey, just I was just we don't know like, yet. I was just vomiting things that you know that it's I want to okay. do better at or or do more of or whatever blah 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 you know everyone <clears throat> I, I just need to say this everyone is afraid not only to vomit <laughs> but they're afraid to sift through mm. the vomit mm-hmm. to see yeah. where the goodies are I think that's the issue for me <laughs> <laughs> but we have to we all have to go through it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I wrote, uh, I have like a whole page here. <laughs> I'm not going to read them all, but, um, give me the big ones then. Um, I do want to pick yoga up again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, it's helpful to me mentally and physically and, um, yoga with Adrian is she's doing the same sort of January 30 day thing again. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm going to try to do that. And, um, I'm sort of roping Sam into doing it with me. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that'll be good. Um, and I want to read more, which I know sounds silly coming from me, You're a but, machine. um, <laughs> I want to not, I don't want to just read more, but I want to read more diverse things. 
like so out of your comfort zone. Out of my comfort zone a little bit. And mm-hmm. that's that's hard for me because, you know, ever since college, I've sort of relished the fact that I, I can read what I want. Mm-hmm. And what I want is murdery thrillers. <laughs> and that's pretty much all I read. And so it's not all I read, but it's a lot of what I read. And um, I kind of would like to branch out a little bit. And, and I feel like I'm doing that with like trying to, you know, read more nonfiction. Because mm-hmm. um, that's really not my default. Nonfiction is not my default. Mm. Um so just sort of trying to read read more and read more diversely. Yeah. And I think you really have. I mean, from just the last couple of months, uh, you've been trying to go back and forth and mm-hmm. do, you know. Yeah, I try to some, switch it up. Yeah. Um, and, and, and to not um, be too judgmental of myself if I pick up a book and I don't like it and just putting it down. Right. Like, I don't, I don't want to feel like, you know, God, I committed to this. I need to finish it, you know, because it's, mm-hmm. it's not necessary. And so... Yeah. So just sort of be forgiving of yourself when you maybe choose a book that wasn't right for you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like I, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I want to write more. Um, I don't know what I want to write or why I want to write, but I feel like, I don't know. Like you said something to me that was like, you're the most, you read, said, you, you, yeah. read, you read too much not to be writing. Yeah, you are the most voracious reader I have ever, ever known. You know? yeah. And it's, it's fascinating because you, you don't take that information and just say, oh, okay, I'm done. Let's move on to the next one. You process and you, you catalog things and you're acquiring. Mm-hmm. You're gathering. You're a gatherer of, of that wonderful information. And so I, I just think that just from trying to relearn the skill of, of writing um, and, and storytelling or whatever it is. I mean, you have to have that backbone of, of taking in that reading to, to be good at mm-hmm. it. So um, writing is just an extension of reading. Mm-hmm. And that's why I know that you would be a fascinating writer at it. Yeah. Um, so I've been, I've been sort of cogitating on that. Yeah. And well, <laughs> I, I literally here's what I do, and I'm I know I'm not alone in this. I am terrified to put pen to paper. Mm-hmm. I literally yeah. am just terrified to start because mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't Nobody know. Does. I don't no. know what I'm it, writing about. I don't know why I'm writing. I don't know. You know, like I I I found the book that I tried to write a few years ago mm-hmm. in Google, like Google mm-hmm. Drive, and I was rereading it. And I, I was reading it and I was like, hey, this is fucking good. <laughs> and then I was like, yeah, but where the fuck is it going? I don't know. Right. I have no idea. Right. And like, aesthetically, my mm-hmm. writing is good. Mm-hmm. I can write like I know what I'm like. I know what I'm doing. With authority. Yeah. yeah. With, but I, yeah. it's like structure and plot and like all the stuff that makes a novel. Mm-hmm. You know, you can write flowery till the till the cows come home, but if you don't yeah. have a plot, then what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. So I I've sort of started trying to start there instead of starting with the language because the language comes easy to me. Mm-hmm. That's not the challenge for me. 
The challenge is the actual story. Is the is the structure yeah, the yeah, bones yeah, yeah. of of yeah. you know what so is actually a good story. I, yeah. I I used sort of some resources you gave me of like different methods of, mm-hmm. of creating a plot or story. You know, um, right. And I'm trying to figure out which one works best for me. And yeah, and I think also you have to consider if you find a story like in particular the one that you already started on. You you have to consider whether the story already has strong enough characters that they will tell you where they want to go if it's going to be a character-driven thing or if you would feel more comfortable being a plotter mm-hmm. of of a structure. I can tell you so already that, that I'm not comfortable with character-driven stories. Right. And and see, like, that's, that's pretty much... That's too loosey-goosey for me. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know me. I mean, that's, that's exactly kind of like where I thrive when, mm-hmm. you know, I have this vision or I have these these pieces that i want to put together and the rationale for those things coming together is the character's drive that's Mm -hmm. the glue for all of these disparate items that you want to include in the novel Mm -hmm. but in that world i mean you're really in in charge to just have fun Mm -hmm. with with how things are coming together i think that's something that i struggle with it's like (laughs) what's fun about this It's not fun. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. It's like yeah. it's only fun when you're done. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah, not yeah, fun yeah. when yeah. you're in the middle of doing it. But uh, well, I was thinking about the. <laughs> I was I was sort of just thinking and and I came back to that story you told me about Kurvonnegut, how he puts his characters in a hole yeah, and they have to try yeah. to work their like get out of the hole, and that's his yeah. whole like writing structure is getting them out of the hole. Right, but it's it wasn't like they they fell in the hole. It's like they they made a choice to yeah. do this thing, and now they're fucked, and yeah. they have to find a way to to get back into um, mm-hmm. into their their normalcy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's there's just so much that you could do. But but getting started is the first step, and um, like I always tell people, um, and I actually just like posted this on on the writing subreddit where somebody was saying. Um, I don't feel comfortable starting. Yeah. Whether it's a journal entry or whether it's yeah. a short story. And you know what I do that that is like legit has changed the way that I look at creativity is I share my notebook with our son. I open it up. And if I'm scared to write that day, I say, come, I need you to help me. So he does one side. Remember, <laughs> you know, I tell mm-hmm. him, you know, do this one side and I'll do the other. Mm-hmm. So if... If I'm terrified of the blank page, it won't be blank anymore because he did something to it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter. It can be, you know, like a flock of seagulls like he does, or it could be just scribbles. Mm-hmm. The page is fucked. You know, mm-hmm. the page is, is, you know, ready to be actually used mm-hmm. because somebody with the courage to, to do it already did it for me. So mm-hmm. I feel like I'm ready to kind of take flight and mm-hmm. make it my own. So we have a pile of journals. <laughs> yeah. If you'd like to get started, my, my journal, um, my journal addiction is getting much, much worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think that we, we just have to have fun, mm. you know, and yeah. believe. Yeah. And I, I fully, fully believe in you. I'm fully ready for you <laughs> to become, a you know, mm-hmm. become fulfilled in that way as well. Yeah. Cause yeah. you're awesome. So that's sort of my, and I'm going to keep doing uh, meditating. I'm using, this is a plug. <laughs> Sponsor I wish I had is right. Sam Harris's waking up pod, uh, waking up app. Yeah. It's a meditation app and it's really awesome. Pretty um, transformative, right? Yeah. Like, I think it's, it's wonderful. And for people who 
there's so many options for meditation. I mean, it's just, it's an inundated market nowadays. Yeah. Um, but for those, for people who it doesn't work for it to be like spiritual in nature or like too flowery or I don't know. I don't know what how you would to call the loosey goosey uh, yeah, element like, of meditation. I don't, I don't, it makes me uncomfortable. I don't like it. <laughs> And so Sam Harris's approach, it's like an atheist approach to meditation. So it's very straightforward. It's not flowery. Yeah. He's very, um, he, he just is, it's very logical mm-hmm. and rational. Yeah. And he's telling you what's going on physically, you know, in your head and, you know, not to be judgmental of yourself when your thoughts inevitably invade what you're trying to (laughs) the Uh space you're trying to create and to just you know observe it and and just let them go and it's it's just very um it works for me Mm -hmm. and um he the the app does cost money it's like 15 bucks a month or something Uh but um you can write his website and request pretty much you know just saying like I don't have $15 a month for an app, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and he's of the mind that n- your financial situation should not hold you back from getting the mental health help you need. Right. And so he's kind enough to give the app for free for a certain amount of time. Um, and, and we did that and I'm really grateful for that. Um, yeah. It's a worthy investment. It, yeah. it is, yeah, but it's a good way to kind of get in and explore and make sure that it's something that's going to, you mm-hmm. know, um, better your life, especially if you're in a bind financially or, yeah. you know, trying to get back on your feet or whatever, mm-hmm. um, in every sense of the word. So, uh, I'm really happy that you, that you, um, are using it and have found it yeah. beneficial. So. Those are the few things that, I mean, there's other stuff on here, but those are like the big ones. Absolutely. Uh, And probably number one, don't be a piece of shit parent, you know, which is something that we're we're all trying to work on. I try to, (laughs) try not to beat yourself up over the mistakes you make as a parent. Right. Which, you know, sometimes we have plenty, but all we can do is move forward and bring bring him along with us and let him take the reins every now and then so that we can be inspired to do better. Um. I think this kind of brings our show to a close because it's we're at about the hour mark. But I just wanted to say thank you to our dear friends who may be out there listening. Uh, and those of us who don't know us, those of you who don't know us who are listening. Yeah, There's got to be you. some people who don't know us who are listening. Yeah, well, we, Maybe. Yeah, because we have some subscribers. I'm like, do I know that many people? Probably not. Mm-hmm. I don't know. No. Um, but thank you. Thank you guys very much for taking some time to um, to let us into your ears because um we kind of like hanging out with you mm-hmm. and uh please let us know what you think about the show as well yeah subscribe rate and review the podcast you can email us at our kids asleep uh, at gmail.com and yeah we're gonna keep on doing this that's right so we will see you all in 2020 we're going to talk about a lot of fun things and we hope that the rest of the year goes well oh new year's resolution for the podcast oh get a soundboard Oh, yeah, yeah, we're working on that. We're going to get a lot of sick sounds. I don't want to be the one that's like, wow, 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 I can do it, but I'd rather we have a sound. We've we've cut out a lot of Maddie going, <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Yeah, 
it's probably the shows were clocking in at what an hour and 25 as opposed to an hour so yeah it was an extra 25 25 minutes so thank you guys very much for your time and enjoy the rest of the year see you soon bye guys 